Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful for the chance to to be in front of this mic today to talk to you. Grateful for the chance to to share some thoughts today. Um, what I wanted to go on today and, and kind of discuss is why I stay in midst in the midst of doing this podcast and having spent the last four years publicly in front of this LDS audience, going through. What started off as a faith crisis at some point turned into me giving myself permission to turn it into a faith deconstruction. And then eventually this faith reconstruction and in developing a voice that has shifted over time. I, I fully recognize that in the very here and now, I've, I've probably portrayed a much stronger tension. To, to be honest, that tension has probably always been there. But as I've gone through this faith transition, I've, I've developed a stronger authority within myself. And I think many of you can understand that process of realizing that you are your own authority. Or at the very least, the authority you claim is within yourself. And, and as I've done that, I've given myself permission to be more vocal and to, and to stand my ground and to share where I disagree and where things don't fit and to try and offer some way to put that back together. Recently I did an episode on unhealthy behaviors of the church and, and just asking, are these behaviors there? Are there things we're doing that are unhealthy and can we be honest and authentic and validate if there is and work to fix them? And to, 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 at best, or at worst, slowly, but maybe at best, dramatically remove those from our faith. And, and I wanted to follow that up because I think as people are listening to that episode, if you're new to the podcast, you're, you're probably thinking this Bill Real guy, he's, he's going to be out soon. He's just throwing too much stuff at the church and being too critical. And this isn't a voice that seems objective or unbiased. And, and maybe you, you're considering just tuning this out. But I, I caution you, I, I hope you'll go back and listen to some of the older episodes, and I hope you'll see even within the current ones, I am truly making an effort to try and be as balanced as I can, but still being authentic to my thoughts and to my feelings. And, and I also have to say too that I was doing really well, really well, until the policy last November came out. And, and when that policy hit, it, it truly shook me to my core to the point that within 24 hours, I was very, very strongly 
weighing in my mind the option of of moving away from the church to withdraw myself from the church and and thank goodness i had some really good friends around me who offered some balance who who knew who, who know the issues as well as I do, who know the history as well as I do, if not better. And, and took some time to just like talk to me and say, look, let's, let's walk this through. Like, what are the options here and, and what is the best thing to do? What are, the, what is the best decision to make? And at the same time, left it completely up to me to make that decision. And, and so I realized that for those of you who are going through a faith transition, those of you on this faith journey, and I'm using all these different words because I want to make sure that you you recognize that I'm connecting with each of these, that as you're going through this, you need positive voices. You need somebody to say, hey, look, slow down. Let's take our time through this. And I hope if, if, you, if you're a longtime listener, you realize that that's exactly what I was trying to do, was to slow you down and to have you have time to process all of this. The, the, when I first started this podcast, my, my biggest concern was that people in learning the messiness would simply leave the church and end up on the other side where they're critical of the church, but their faith is still in someone in that black and white paradigm. That they never changed their assumptions, rather they just changed the reality to match their old assumptions. And, and maybe I can give an example. If someone says, you know, the, the, um, if somebody holds the assumption that prophets need to be really good people who are closer to perfection than the rest of us, right? And if that's the assumption they grew up with in the church, and as they go through the church, the church meets that assumption. They look at the top 15 men, and they see men of God who emulate the savior better than they do. And then all of a sudden one day that shelf comes down and suddenly they realize that prophets, seers and revelators are deeply flawed. It becomes really easy to hold on to that assumption that prophets should be near perfect. And now you just make the judgment that these men aren't prophets. And now you're on the outside of the church criticizing it because these guys don't meet the assumptions that you hold. In that, in that such a, a quick and abrupt separation between a person in the church isn't, isn't in a development sense positive for the person because they never, as they, when you have the time to process this faith journey, this idea of leaving a black and white world of being able to kind of wrestle and reconcile with nuance, contradictions, paradoxes, one begins to really develop an inner sense of how to find truth and how to search and and how to mature and grow. Joseph Smith once says that it's in proving contraries that truth is manifest, and I think he hits on a really deep truth there. That as we process and wrestle with contraries or paradoxes, that we really begin to develop within ourselves. And, and as I'm always advocating and, and trying to, to bring language to, 
we're also developing this inner authority, I find it so mysterious that when the church goes out and looks for investigators, when it finds someone, when the missionaries knock on the door and that person lets them in and has some level of sincerity to hear the message, the message that the missionaries give is that, listen, the world is telling you lots of things. What we're asking you to do is to read this sacred book and then ask God, whatever questions you have, whatever concerns you have, go ask God and and let the Holy Ghost within you tell you the truth of the questions that you're asking. Right? We At the very onset of investigating the church, the church encourages you to use your inner authority to find answers to the deepest and most difficult questions, the most pressing questions, the most, the most spiritual questions that you have to take them to the Lord. And the Lord with some, with some spirit inside of you will answer and address those questions. And then the very moment that person makes a decision and gets into the water and is, is baptized by immersion and comes out of the water, the very moment they come out of the water, the, the impetus from that point forward is to look for the answers in the authorities outside of yourself and only use the authority within yourself to only confirm the truth of what those outside authorities say and teach. And it feels, now looking back, it feels like a bait and switch. And, I, and you don't see it at the time. You don't recognize it at the time. But that's what happens. And, and what I'm here to tell you is that one of the beautiful things of Mormonism is this authority within yourself in this, this encouragement to, to seek out that authority and to get answers from it. And, and so as I've, I've come through this faith transition, I've come to realize that prophets, seers, and revelators are a source of truth, but that the Holy Ghost or the divine spirit within each of us is the source of truth. And and that's one of the things that I I, I love about Mormonism because it's there. And so what I was thinking was today, I wanted to share with you the reasons why I stay, the reasons why I'm still here, the reasons why I'm still going to church every single week, why I hold a temple recommend, why I'm holding a calling, why I why do I bother? And and to be honest, like I don't know that I can come up with any other way to do life. And and maybe we can go through some of that too today. But my hope is that whether you're a newer listener and, and you felt like, man, Bill real has just been, he's kind of a negative guy. I I want you to know that that's not really how it is. And and I should say too, right? There's, there's this bipolarness in terms of the podcast versus social media. And I, and I fully recognize that the podcast tends to be more faithful and my posts on social media tend to be more critical thinking. And, and there's a reason for that. The, the podcast is designed towards you, the listener, the person who is struggling. I'm, I'm trying to validate that the mess you're seeing is real. I'm trying to validate that the pain you feel is real. And I'm trying to offer new information so that you can see that there's other directions to go with all of this stuff. I'm trying to offer you solutions at times, either for the church generally or for us as individuals to try and 
reconcile some of that. Sometimes just digging down further gives us a quote from a leader or a scripture that while not emphasized by the church generally, shows that there is underlying room to see these issues differently. And and the podcast is very much designed to kind of empathize with you and to show you that you you, you got to spend more time with this that you got to you got to spend more time thinking and wrestling with this stuff in order to work through it. For the people who've listened to this podcast for a long time, you're right. You you probably have noticed that I started off really gentle and so extremely uber faithful and and then over the last year or so have have allowed my voice to be more critical and and somewhat that's natural right there is this trajectory that the the more you house your authority within yourself the the less you see those simple black and white paradigms the more you realize that once others have gotten to that place they need an alternative voice that allows for some social action to stand up for things to to say hey look I don't like what's going on here and so that's happening. Facebook, on the other hand, is really pointed at not the doubter, but the doubter's father, the doubter's brother, the doubter's bishop, the doubter's sibling, the doubter's friend. And and for the person going through a faith transition, I, I use social media to try and create space for there to be conversations, for there to be a recognition that this is really messy and we have some really deep things to work through. If, if everybody in the church, and I'm not saying it's necessarily healthy for each individual, but it is healthy for the church generally to have to wrestle with these paradoxes and contradictions. I, I'm not trying to bring anybody's shelf down. Like I said, I realize fully that poking, poking the bear a little bit can, can cause some people to really struggle. That by pointing out the inconsistencies and paradoxes in Mormonisms, some people are going to have their testimony damaged. It's no different than the LDS Gospel Topic Essays, right? That, that these are helpful, perhaps generally, to show us as a church that things are messier than we thought and that we have some work to do. But individually, these essays are causing people to lose their testimonies. And some people, and, and I gotta tell you, over the last two years, I have tons of conversations with people who who have entered a faith transition. And before two years ago, everybody was telling me it was critical material. Over the last two years, the majority of people are telling me that it is it is the information they're finding in the church. And and that's telling. And so we should recognize that on an individual basis, like being critical or putting out paradoxes and inconsistencies can damage the one. And I totally get that. And that's not my goal. But generally, for the church as a whole moving forward, discussing these inconsistencies and paradoxes is absolutely essential to us moving forward and making the space that's going to be needed for my kids and for my kids' kids to actually grow up in this church, to love it, and to stay active. And so we've got to find a way to do that. Recognizing that difference between the podcast and Facebook, I, I hope that maybe that'll give a feel to you, the listener, why I do the things I do. Today, I want to lay out why I stay. I've, I've said that several times. We've kind of gone off on tangents. Let's get right to it. So so why do I stay in the church? Why do I bother? Why am I here? 
and and some people say, Bill, like you figured it out, like you've pulled the curtain back from the Great Wizard of Oz, and and yet you're still trying to make it work. Why not just walk away? And and I'll tell you, like I've examined, I've examined everything, like like I've deconstructed God, I've deconstructed Jesus, I've deconstructed Scripture, I've deconstructed Revelation and prophets and seers and revelators and and church history and church doctrine and church. You know, theology and all of this stuff. I've taken it apart. And I've asked myself every single one of those hard questions. And, and while 10 years ago I could have bore the strongest testimony of the things I know, I, I just, I humbly stand before you today and just say like, I don't know. I don't know. Is there a God? I don't know. Is Jesus a historical figure who truly did die on a cross and then rose three days later? I don't know. Is, did Joseph Smith see something divine in a grove on a spring morning sometime between 1819 and 1821? I don't know. Is, is the Book of Mormon in some mystical, literal, figurative, allegorical way, is it, is it scripture? I don't know. And, and to be that vulnerable, like I'm being vulnerable, I don't, I don't want to lose listeners certainly. I don't want to cause any of the listeners to go, yep, see? The further you go down this road, the less these things add up, and, and sooner or later you just you just got to throw in the towel. That's not what I'm saying. While I don't know any of those things, I deeply hope, deeply hope in each of them. And and I may not believe those things the way I believed them ten years ago, but I still believe them. And again, that doesn't that doesn't negate the reality and the the validation I give to the conclusions on the other side of those questions. Like I am perfectly comfortable almost holding two conclusions in my mind or more than two on each of these issues. And yet I'm here. Here's the reasons. Let me tell you the things I like about the church. Things that I find to be empowering to our faith journeys. One, we the church gives out callings. Like, like everybody in the ward, in a congregation, is given some responsibility. And and I look at other churches, and I see people show up, sit down, listen to sermons, listen to a band play, listen to some songs sung, listen to some scriptures shared, feel good for an hour, get up, and go home. But Mormonism, to its credit has found a way to tell every single member of the church, you have some responsibility in helping us build the kingdom of God. Will you please help? Will you please roll up your sleeves and join with us and contribute? Now, having a calling, having everyone in a ward have a calling is so crucial. It's crucial to community, that everybody feels like they're contributing. It's crucial to to, to, to development. It's crucial to us becoming something more, like this chance to serve and sacrifice and give up our time and energy and resources so that we can contribute to the kingdom, like there's real power in that. Like I I would never, I would never have gone through the faith transition that I have. I would never have claimed my own authority. I would have never left black and white thinking if I didn't have my sleeves rolled up and, and have my hand to the plow. It wouldn't have happened. And so giving everyone a calling and a responsibility, asking everyone to be a stewardship over something 
and, and having these callings have some order to them so that at different times in your life, sometimes you're a leader, sometimes you're uh, being led, sometimes you're in the middle management in terms of the church. All of these things help us develop. And I, and I think it's just crucial. Everyone is involved. I think that is a dynamic thing that makes the church incredible. Another one is talks, right? Everybody in the congregation gets a chance to speak. Think about that. Once or twice a year, you have a chance to have really serious influence if, if you're willing to kind of go out there on that talk and, and, and give them something new and fresh to think about. Every single member of the ward has a chance to have influence. Everybody has a chance to have a voice that's heard. And, and it's different. Like when you go into Sunday school and you teach a lesson or you throw your hand up to throw in a comment or a point or answer a question, like that space is a, is a push and a pull. Like the ability for others to kind of rein you in if they disagree strongly with you. That's important because in that balance, it kind of forces all of us to kind of second guess where we stand and to wrestle with ourselves and to wrestle with the perspectives of others. And and yet sacrament meeting is so much different. This chance to give a talk, to stand up at a pulpit where nobody else is allowed to speak. Nobody else can interrupt you. Nobody else can, you know, unless you go way overboard or a leader perceives you as going way overboard, you got 15 minutes, 10 minutes to give a talk that nobody gets to say anything else as you talk. And you get to throw out your own perspective and points of view without anybody interrupting you. Just just the chance to have that kind of influence, which makes Mormonism in some ways so much different than a lot of other faiths that are out there. Another is lay priesthood, right? God is no respecter of persons. We haven't put any one person in charge of us for the next 50 years. Like every one of us has some some ownership. Now, let me stop here and just say I get it. Only men hold the priesthood and women don't, right? And and that that for those of us who are progressive and kind of moving through these faith transitions, we realize that that doesn't feel right. And and so I grant that this this part this this part is not equal. There's a lack of equality in in the priesthood. And for whoever that rubs wrong, I get it. But there's a lack of equality in the priesthood in terms of only one gender holds the offices and certain authorities. And that in and of itself says that there's work to do. But but let's just for a moment set that aside and just say, look, let's just talk about men for a minute. In other churches, there's usually one person, maybe three people, maybe five people who are put in charge. They're the ones who who lead and everyone else is to follow. But Mormonism has this like rotational thing. Every couple of years, people change callings. Even our bishops only stay in for about five years on average. Stake presidents for 10. But still every decade, right, we get to completely mix it up again. And, and there's this chance for everybody. Everybody is a potential bishop within the males, within the men. Everybody's a potential stake president. Everybody's a potential young men's president. Everybody's a potential high priest group leader. And, and certainly we look around and say, well, yeah, but they tend to stay within, you know, this group of five guys or this group of 50 men. And sure, 
but that that isn't like this hard and fast thing and it also it also has a lot to do with who we are and how we're perceived individually but at its heart there's this room like there's this room for everyone to have a chance to lead and to contribute and to serve in places of authority again recognizing and respecting that when it comes to gender we're falling short mormonism has heavenly mother now again we don't talk about her we don't really mention her we don't really know what her attributes are specifically we don't we don't talk about her at much length but she's there in mormonism is the feminine divine other there are, there are other faiths that don't even have that like catholicism Catholicism reaches towards Mary, the mother of God, in an effort to kind of find that, to find, to kind of locate that, and to work with it. And, and here we have Heavenly Mother. And hopefully going forward, we're going to have more conversation about her. We're going to be willing to kind of step outside of ourselves and say, look, we, we don't really know a whole lot about her, but let's, let's, let's theologically speculate a little bit. Let's see if we can discover some truth as we talk it through. President Packer said that a testimony is gained in the bearing of it. And, and I don't, I don't like that idea because it imposes that we should fake it till we make it. Right? But I do like the principle of talking about things in order to find out what it is that we believe. And I think while we know so little about Heavenly Mother, I think we could talk about her, speculate a little bit. I mean, heaven forbid we speculate in Mormonism because we've done a whole lot of it. I don't think it would hurt to speculate a little bit about Heavenly Mother and to suggest that all of us wrestle with that until we as a community arrive at what we, we believe is truth in that discussion. But there is the feminine divine and it's solid within Mormonism regardless of whether we're actually discussing it or not. It's there, and it's not going anywhere, and it, and it can only be opened up more. Another thing is inclusive theology, right? I mean, we don't have an answer yet for the LGBT issue from a doctoral standpoint, yet our theology offers the answer right in front of us. We, we've taught that not only is there three glories, the telestial, terrestrial, and celestial glory, and that the celestial glory is the highest, where, where God's children who, who not only, you know, understood the gospel, but lived it where they go. And we recognize that in the, that the celestial kingdom has also three glories within it. And that the highest glory there is reserved for men and women sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And yet we have these two lesser glories in the celestial kingdom and they have people in them. And we say, well, that's for the single sister, right? Or that's for the single brother who who never had a chance. No, 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 no. Because in Mormonism, we teach that when those people get to the other side, they will have an opportunity to be married, to be sealed, to have an eternal partner, and then to be in the highest glory of the celestial kingdom. And so Mormonism really hasn't answered yet who is in those lesser two glories of the celestial kingdom. Right? We, we haven't talked about that. And so there's room in our doctrine. There's answers right in front of our nose 
of, of solutions for those that we feel are outside the standard, but whom are still pressing forward with steadfastness, feasting upon the word of Christ. And so all we have to do is just let our guard down a little bit and say, man, we don't have great answers for some of this. Let's consider other possibilities. And it's right there. And this idea that even the lesser two glories, the terrestrial and celestial glory, we've been taught that they're better than what we have here. Like that's beautiful, right? The rest of the world within Christianity says there's heaven and hell. And even in other religions generally, there's this idea of eternal reward and progression or or eternal damnation or regression. And yet Mormonism says like, yeah, there's a select few who are just evil in their heart, and they're going to go to this really bad place. But everybody else, 99.9% of the population, everybody else is going to end up in a place better than the here and now, better than this mortality, better than this earth life. Like, to me, that's gorgeous. That's so beautiful. That's so inclusive. The idea of the celestial kingdom having these three glories and us not having an explanation for who these lower two glories, who inhabits these, that's beautiful. It's inclusive. This idea that God is working with all of his children, right? That God is a loving heavenly father and he wants to bring all of his children home, right? Balance that against the rest of Christianity that says if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell and sorry that you didn't learn about him in this life, but that was your chance, right? You look at at some of these uh, fundamentalist Christians evangelical Christians, some of the Protestant churches, that if one doesn't accept Jesus in mortality, sorry about your luck. And yet Mormonism just doesn't do that. It says, look, yeah, there's the church and there's people in it, but God is truly trying to work to bring all of his children home, and he has established a plan that can truly accomplish that based on the willingness of the individual in or out of the church. Like, that's beautiful. It has answers. Mormonism offers answers to a problem that most of Christianity cannot address. To me, that's gorgeous. It's inclusive and expansive, and it's beautiful. Also, this idea that God is using people in and out of the church to accomplish that work. Like, we often get in our cultural bubble, the things that are part of correlated Mormonism, the things we say in the three-hour block and we write in our in our manuals that are used during that time. And we have a very narrow us-versus-them mentality of what Mormonism is. And yet, if you can just brush all that surface junk away, and you can kind of dig below the surface, you get things like Orson F. Whitney saying that non-members are among the auxiliaries of the church. You get the 1978 First Presidency letter from President Kimball and his counselors that say that God imparted spiritual light to people like Mohammed and Confucius and others, right? We have in our theology that the reformers, Martin Luther, right? John Wesley, Tyndale, others, were used by God to help further the work. We have this idea that the founders of our country, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Paul Revere riding on his horse, right, down the down the dirt road, that these men were used by God. That Christopher Columbus, in spite of all his frailties, was used by God 
to help further the work, to help keep the plan pressing forward. And Mormonism has given us this room to step aside and say, look, if we dig below the surface, God is using other people. God is, God is using Pope Francis. God is using Mohammed. God is using Confucius. God is using Buddha. God is using people in these various faiths. And God is probably even using atheists to further his work. That we often say, no, 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 no. There's good and there's bad. There's, there's us. There's them. There's the righteous. There's the unrighteous. There's the wheat and there's the tares. But I just don't see God seeing that way. Like when I brush all that stuff aside and I dig down, I can find so many quotes and teachings, official and unofficial, that say that God, that this plan is too big for Mormonism. This this plan is too large and expansive and encompassing for Mormonism to be the solution to the problem. Rather, Mormonism is one instrument in the orchestra. And when we recognize that, that in spite of Mormonism sometimes playing on the other side of the curtain and thinking it's all there all by itself, doing all the work, if we just part the curtain a little bit, maybe Mormonism could see that there's a lot more instruments in the band and that maybe those instruments were playing all along, although somehow Mormonism just kept its ears shut to it and didn't hear it. This work is too big. And, and heaven knows that this world doesn't need more Mormons. What it needs is more disciples of Jesus Christ. And those are found both in and out of the church. Does the church have a role to play? Sure. If the church is true, it's providing the ordinances, the saving ordinances that are essential and required. But guess what? Everybody gets them. Everybody gets the ordinances. Everybody receives them. Right? And these ordinances, they're outward behaviors. They're outward expressions. Sure, if Mormons say, look, man, we are saving the world. Sure, you're providing an outward expression of faith. But Mormonism is doing nothing to change the hearts and minds of those who have gone before. Right? Right? That Jesus is doing that. If, if people do live beyond this life, and if people do go to a spirit world, and if people truly are taught the gospel of Jesus Christ there, absolutely, hearts and minds then are being changed there. Performing ordinances in temples doesn't do that. My love for my grandmother who's passed before me doesn't do that. What does that is when she encounters the, the Savior of the world and the gospel of Jesus Christ face to face in whatever sphere she's in. That is heart changing. That is life changing. Mormonism does nothing to change the mind and heart of those who have gone before. Rather, it provides an outward expression of that faith. And so Mormonism has to step back and say, look, if the gospel is about our hearts and minds being changed, about us developing a willingness to follow Christ, then we're only playing a small little part in this work. That there is an entire orchestra. And we're and maybe we're the drums, maybe we're setting the beat, but we are just one instrument. And that all of these instruments are essential, they are needed, they are beneficial, and each of them comes with their problems too. Mormonism has the solution to exclusiveness. Mormonism's theology is this theology that truly does at its very core, 
show how every single child of God, every single spiritual offspring of the Father, how that person can get back. Mormonism offers that. How about eternal families? Right? That that very directly Mormonism teaches you that the relationships you build in the here and now, that these relationships go beyond this life. I'm telling you guys, as I've deconstructed everything, as I've looked dead in the eye the question of whether there's a God or not, as I have contemplated that when my life is over, it's over, that the light just goes out, I, I then turn and look to my wife and my children and I think maybe this is all I have. Maybe this is it. Maybe whatever it is, maybe I have five more years till I have a stroke. Maybe I've got 50 more years, but whatever that is, when it's over, it's over. And, and having that thought in the back of my mind, having that thought be the one side of the coin certainly allows me to treat every day as if it's special and to try and find some way to be better and to connect more and to take advantage of the very moment we live in. But at the same time, I, just speaking for myself, I would be hopeless without the other side of that coin, which is a hope that these relationships go beyond this life. That, In other words, I don't think it's positive or good to only hold one side of that coin as your entire reality. That if you are a complete non-believer... Like, there is some hopelessness in knowing that when this life is over, it's over. That there's nothing, there's nothing that, that grasps you to, to help you see that these relationships are, are something bigger, something more. And, and at the same time, it doesn't, it's not beneficial to have this completely all-in believer mentality. Because at that point, you will sacrifice these experiences you could be having in the here and now, knowing that you can do other things that you're being asked to do in order to build your mansion on the other side. That that in some ways you'll say, look, I'm serving as a bishop. It doesn't matter that I leave my family every night for five years and go out and serve the other people in this ward. And yes, I've missed out on incredible experiences with my wife and my kids, but that's okay. I've got forever to catch up on those things. That mentality is also not good. And so there has to be some balance in our minds that one, this might be it. And I need to take advantage of every moment, every moment in the here and now. And yet I also need to have a hope that these relationships are more than just evolution and behavioral theory. Like there's, there's value in hope that these relationships go beyond this life. And Mormonism gives you that. And so I look at my wife, whom I love and adore, and I look at my children, whom I care deeply for, and like I want those relationships to last forever. And I, and I hope they do, and Mormonism gives me, gives me that hope. I like the idea that we're literally made in his image, I don't know if God is a physical, corporal being with two arms and two legs and two eyes and two ears and a mouth and a nose. I don't know that. But I know the idea of that, to me, gives me a, a more direct 
connection in my development. In other words, it's one thing if God is this just this essence, and then somehow he creates us and he wants to call us his children and he wants us to think of him as our father and that somehow in that relationship we're to come to know him who is unknowable like that's fine and I respect other faiths that see God as less as less than something physical or corporal but at the same time my knowing that that my having this teaching that Heavenly Father is a physical being and we are his literal spiritual offspring in some way, shape, or form, like gives me this this stronger connection to relate to him. And, and in that relating to him, at least early on, it gives us a way to kind of connect with the divine. Now, obviously, as we go through these transitions, we begin to disassemble it more. And, and as we do that, we leave more room for us to not really know exactly what God is. But by this time, we've already developed, hopefully, this connection. And so I think Mormonism, by giving us a physical being, certainly maybe limits us a little bit later in our transition. But in the start of our faith, it is so necessary for us to have this being that we relate to as our real father. And that he, he kind of looks like us. And we're trying to be like him. Like to me, that that's, there's some real beauty in that. How about the history that we have? Mormonism is amazing. I mean, look at the last 200 years of our church, right? A little less than 200 years and look at all the cool tangents you can go off on. Look at all the cool quotes, the things leaders said, the, the things that they did, the the behind-the-scenes stuff that we've gotten a look into because of the books written by Greg Prince and D. Michael Quinn and others, the the chance to have this fascinating history. And, and because we are a lay membership and leadership, there's this, there's this openness in terms of like everyone in the church having some say in expounding on our history and expounding on our doctrine and and you get this vulnerability because because of a lay leadership, you get this vulnerability where leaders say things in the public sphere and it holds real importance. Whereas when you go to Catholicism, for instance, right? I mean, Pope Francis will say all these incredible things, but once he's passed away, if the next pope is uber-Orthodox, then sure, I mean, you can say, yeah, Pope Francis said such and such, but it's gone. It's gone. And yet some way, because Mormonism has this lay leadership, when when Brigham Young says something, when Elder McConkie says something, when Joseph Fielding Smith says something, like even if a later leader like denounces it or disavows it, there's still this ability to kind of grasp at it and wrestle with it and have it affect what we're doing in the here and now. And I think that's so beautiful. And I don't think that kind of dynamic is really found in other places. I don't, I don't know that Jehovah Witnesses are claiming a leader from 30 years ago, are are quoting a leader from 30 years ago, and using that to help formulate their theology in, at this very moment. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that, you know, Scientology is doing, I don't know that, that Methodism is doing that. I don't, I don't think Evangelical Christianity is doing that. 
I don't think the Quakers are doing that. I think in Mormonism there's this neat dynamic that whatever generation you're in, the wise things those leaders said and even the the comments that seem to rub us the wrong way, those things continue to be wrestled with. And that George Albert Smith in some way has still has influence on the church, just as Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, Bruce R. McConkie, Hubie Brown, right? B.H. Roberts, Brigham Young, Matthias Cowley, Matthew Cowley, John W. Taylor, and his father, John Taylor. All of these people still have influence on the church right now. And, and I find that to be so incredible. Like, I just don't think you get that anywhere else. Much of Christianity has this, the Bible is the authority. And so it keeps turning back to the Bible. And so any leader at its present moment has influence at that moment. But 50 years from now, essentially has none. And yet Mormonism has influence. Influence can be found that impacts this very moment can be found throughout its history. And to me, that's incredible. How about the underlying room to have a voice, right? You've got, you've got quotes like Joseph Fielding Smith saying that if something doesn't match with the standard works, you are duty bound to reject it. You have Elder McConkie in his private correspondence with Eugene England saying that you, you need to reject, that we as a membership need to reject the false teachings of Brigham Young. Otherwise, we, if we don't, we do it to the detriment of our own salvation. Like, that's strong. But in that comment is this encouragement to dismiss the false teachings of a prophet, seer, and revelator. Right? You have Brigham Young saying, I, I have, I, I have a fear that these people have so much confidence in their leaders that they're not going to, to test or think for themselves. Right? You have, you have President uh, Ezra Tapp Benson, when he's a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, before he's president of the church, doing this 14 fundamentals, and immediately afterward, President Kimball and the, and the other 13 men bring President Benson in and tell him that what he's what he did was inappropriate, that he was teaching a follow-the-leader follow mentality, right? And, and so there's this room in Mormonism to dissent. Even if on the surface it is unwanted, and and there are penalties for taking it too far. You, if you can brush away that that surface, you realize that in Mormonism, inherent in Mormonism, is the ability to stand up and to raise your hand in opposition, both literally as well as figuratively with your voice. Right? That there's this idea that you have a voice, and we. This church runs through common consent and you have the ability to stand up and say, I am not okay with this. And I just went, just this past Sunday, I go to a special stake meeting. We were notified a couple weeks ago that the dynamics of our stake have changed, that some wards are just way too small, other wards are way too big, and that it was time to realign the boundaries of these wards. And... And so we go to this meeting. It's a one o'clock meeting at our stake center. And it's being called a sacrament meeting. And so we partake of the sacrament to begin with. And then afterwards, the stake presidency announces the boundary changes for the wards. One ward was completely done away with. 
and then all the other wards, their boundaries shifted and changed. Some wards lost members, other wards gained members. And, and as they made these changes, the counselor and the stake presidency stood before the congregation, the entire stake, and said, these are the changes that have been made. All those in favor manifest it, and, and essentially almost every hand in the room went up. And then he says, all those who are opposed may manifest it by the same sign, and a few hands went up. There were people who objected. And the counselor and the stake presidency said, for those who have objected either in this room or in the other rooms watching this, this conference by television, please see a member of the stake presidency afterward so that we can discuss your abstaining vote. Right? And, and my hope is standing back, right? My hope is that, that those objections are validated and that these people are empathized with because I can understand how difficult these changes could be on them and their families. And that while these changes are for the greater good of the stake, that we recognize perhaps the hurt and pain we cause to an individual or to a household. And so I think it's valuable to ask for these abstaining votes and to give people a voice to express why they're just not okay with something we do. And this this is inherent in Mormonism. When we go into a Sunday school class, sure, there's a teacher and there's students, right? But we recognize that there is the freedom for everyone in that room to have a voice. That if someone wants to make a point, not that it will go uncontested, but that everyone has a right to raise their hand and to say something. Again, that in our sacrament meetings, people can get up and give talks and they can share ideas. And those ideas may push us outside of our comfort zone. Those ideas may in some ways contradict the points that we've always held. That's okay. And so this is why I love Mormonism. And I, and I simply want to finish saying like, there's some, there's some really individual things that Mormonism did for me. Like that's the coolness of Mormonism. I hope for everyone. But for me, Mormonism brought me to Jesus. Like I can't thank the church enough for that. Like I, I was, I was agnostic. I was uninterested in attending church. I was uninterested in having a spiritual life. I was making bad choices with drugs and shoplifting and, and other things that were going to have a, a long lasting effect on the paths I was taking in my life. And then out of nowhere comes this church that makes these extraordinary claims and that these claims felt so good to my soul that, that I felt spiritually compelled in a good way to change my life to better fit this spiritual life. And, and for an agnostic kid whose, whose mother and father shared nor had any religious inclination outside of maybe slightly stronger than agnostic belief. This, this church gave me Jesus. And, and for me, like this, this person in the New Testament, who's just amazing, who just does the right thing at every turn, who seems to be so fair and balanced, who seems to encourage us to be uncomfortable, but at the same time expresses this really deep love, like, to give me this, this man whom today I love and adore 
just, I, again, I owe, I owe a great amount of gratitude to Mormonism for doing that. Mormonism helped me find a purpose. It took this, this kid who was just an average student getting B, C's and D's, who was, who was going to call, you know, going to go to college, but didn't know if he'd succeed at it or not, who was, you know, going to get a, just an average job and just wend his way through the world and just live an average life. Like it gave me purpose. It gave me a chance to have opportunities for leadership. It gave me a chance to develop my own ideas and to be, to be praised in some ways when those ideas were really good. Like there's mechanisms in Mormonism. As much as we want to argue and debate that there are mechanisms in Mormonism that demean and shame and diminish, like we can't ignore the fact that there are mechanisms in Mormonism that lift and praise and build self-esteem and help us to feel important and to feel like we have a voice and that voice can be heard, to have a chance to lead and to develop an ability to speak. Like there are some really incredible things in Mormonism that you just don't find in other places. Mormonism helped me to become a better person. Mormonism helped me to claim my own voice. Mormonism helped me through moments of tension and through through moments of everything going well to develop my own voice, develop to develop my own authority, to stop looking at things in a black and white way and to recognize that not only my religion but life is paradoxical, that there are contraries all around me, that there are contradictions all around me, and to help me to develop. I simply want to finish just saying that recognizing that Mormonism certainly has a tension within it that is that is difficult that many are just walking away from i simply want to bear witness that mormonism also has this other side to it that is just incredibly fruitful that is incredibly inclusive that is such a blessing to its membership that is such a call to develop within ourselves and to develop as a community and that hopefully each of us will recognize why we stay or why it's worth staying. And I'm simply speaking for myself here that it is, at least for me at this very moment, it's worth staying. It's worth whatever this tension is and whatever it means and whatever it turns into, it's worth staying. That Mormonism is beautiful. That it, that it is so in, that in parts of it, that that in, in its hidden parts, which it's our responsibility to uncover, that in its hidden parts, it is so inclusive, and welcoming, and and truly ready to honor every person as having something to do in the work of God, and honoring that every person has a place within His kingdom, if they so be willing. It's my prayer that today's episode will be seen as one that lifts you up and helps you to see where I'm coming from and hopefully gives you reason to continue pressing forward with steadfastness. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.